0: Welcome to the Rational Horizon podcast, brought to you by the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. The Rational Horizon podcast is a discussion of issues relevant to atheists and skeptics in the California Central Valley. Today is August 24th. My name is Mark Boyd. I'm the president of the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. We have three other people here tonight with us. Richard.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm
0: vice president of CVS. With us, we have uh, two members. We have Justin. How you doing? And we have David. Hello there. Today's show, we're going to talk about logical fallacies. This is a good topic for everyone in the Central Valley, because we see logical fallacies applied so often in the local news, uh, newspapers, and on television. But before we get into the show, I do have a couple of announcements we'd like to make. First off, the Rational Horizon podcast is now on iTunes, and I'd like to thank Justin for getting us up on that. I'd also like to announce... The second annual Heretics Barbecue will be held at Letterman Park on September 6th in Clovis, California. You can see the details for the barbecue on the uh, Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics website. David is one of the cooks for the event, and I understand we're in for some really good tri-tip. Uh, and there's a, a vegan menu, too. What What's on the vegan menu?
2: Not sure what... Uh was on the vegan menu, but we have a, a vegan in charge of it now, so it's it's going to rest well in her hands, and uh, I'm sure it'll be some tasty items. She's been trying to use me as a guinea pig, and uh, it tastes okay to me, and I'm a carnivore, so you know that's some that's saying something.
0: Well, good. So that's all I have for the group. Does anyone else have anything?
1: No Question, Justin. Uh, so if I go to iTunes, how do I find the podcast? Do you know?
0: Not yet. Um, it'll it'll be announced on the. Um, the Rational Horizon website. Okay. There'll be an icon on the Rational Horizon website that'll take you right to the iTunes page. And okay. it'll if you have iTunes loaded on your computer, it'll load it up and go.
1: Okay, great.
0: So, again, thanks to Justin for getting that module installed and pointing me to the instructions for it so I could get it set up. Yeah, not a problem.
1: Now, the... Uh, uh, The podcasts are posted as MP3s, is that correct? Yes. So I noticed the other day that in a Windows Media Player, I'm not sure what the Media Player is. you can actually burn them out to a standard audio CD. Yes, you could. Yeah.
0: If you wanted to do that. So
1: pop it in your car if you have an MP3 in your car. Right, might be too long for one disc, but...
0: Well, you know, I I think they have something called an MP3 player that actually (laughs) skips that step, but... In my (laughs) car? Well, mine still has a tape deck in it, so, you know, I can't talk. But yes, you could if you wanted to, and it's all under a Creative Commons license. You're welcome to take it. You can even remix it if you feel like it. You're just not allowed to sell it without our approval. See the website for details, as they would say, at uh, rationalhorizon.com.
1: Not just our our podcast. I'd uh, encourage anybody to find any of the really great skeptic and atheist podcasts out there.
0: That's something we need, and, uh, to, we need to be better at is, is linking to the
1: other great podcasts yeah. that are out there. They're great for driving around on long car trips. That's yeah. what
2: I listen to, and I'm up and down the valley every day. Yeah.
1: So. so
0: we want to talk about logical fallacies. This is for helping people to identify whenever another person's argument is going wrong. I'm going to use a, a religious person as a as an example. They might say something like, "The Bible was, is inspired by God." Well, how do we know God is real? Because it says so in the Bible. This is a circular argument. A circular argument is actually a logical fallacy. There are a lot more subtle logical fallacies on top of this, and we can get to the point where we can point them out. It helps you find out where the weak points are in someone's discussion with you, and you can see where they might be leading you astray. But before we get into the, the actual logical fallacies themselves, I'd like Richard to tell us about the two different types of argument style, the inductive
1: reasoning and the inductive reasoning, if we could. Okay. Uh, before we get to that, though, let me back up a little bit. Um, when, when someone says they're going to, to make an argument... Um, they're probably going to try to use one of two methods. They're either going to try to prove their argument using logic, or they're going to try to prove their argument using evidence. Uh, And both ways are valid. I think evidence is a stronger way to prove an argument. You know, I could try to logically argue that something will fall if I drop it, but I think, you know, the evidence that when I always drop something, it falls is is a really strong argument in my favor. Uh, In terms of induction and deduction, Deductive logic is a logical argument where you're going to basically prove something is true by using examples. And you use a lot of general examples, and you say, look, all these general examples added up together deductively show that, that what I'm trying to say is, is true. And an inductive argument, it's a little more subtle. What you try to do is you, you try to find something that you can say is true for a specific case, and then generalize it to all cases.
0: So, a deductive argument would be kind of like adding all the evidence up.
1: Exactly. So, Sherlock Holmes would use deductive arguments. He goes along and collects piece after piece of information, and then at the very end he deduces from all the information he's collected that something is true. Okay. An inductive argument is normally done in mathematics. I don't think people use it too much in, in, in daily, in daily logical constructions. It usually, in, in mathematics, the, the the formal outline of a deductive of an inductive argument is: first, you have a basis, and the basis is a is a statement you make. It's also called an axiom that everyone generally will accept as being true. And then. The next step you do is you make another statement that is going to be true for a certain number of cases. And people will agree to that. It can be one case. It can be two cases. It doesn't have to be a lot. And then the third step is is another logical argument that says you can see that this will be true for all cases, even if I don't go through and prove every single one of them to you.
0: The one that comes to mind is the all geese are white statement. That seems to me like a, a failing in inductive arguments in that as soon as you find one black goose, your, your inductive argument has fallen apart. Do you have to qualify the all geese is, is white argument? How, how would that work? Well, okay,
1: that's a form of induction. And what you're really pointing out is there's something formal or philosophical induction and scientific induction there. Maybe I'll give a more concrete example of, a, of an inductive versus an inductive argument using the same scenario. Let's say you have a, you, you're, you're, you're in a classroom, and in front of you is just an empty room. And outside the room are a line of students with chairs. And the first student comes in, puts his chair down, and sits in the chair. And then the second student comes in and puts his chair down and sits in the chair. Okay, from there, you can induce that the way the classroom is going to be filled is every student on the outside is going to come in, put their chair down and sit in it. Okay, now the power of the inductive argument is you can say someone asks you, where will the very last student in this line sit? Well, you can induce from the rule of what is going to happen. Oh, he's going to be the last. He's going to sit right here because I can make the inductive argument that every student in front of him is going to behave in a certain way. So the last student, even though he's way down the line somewhere and he hasn't come in yet, he'll be sitting right here. Because well, he'll do the same thing all the other students have done, and so I can sort of inductively say that. A deductive argument would be different. In a deductive argument, you'd be looking out, and all the chairs would be sitting there empty. And the first student comes in and sits in the first chair. And the second student comes in and sits in the second chair. And <coughs> all the students come in except for the last one, and there's one empty chair, and then someone says, where will the last student sit? And you say, He'll sit in that chair. That's a deductive argument. You filled in all the blanks. There's only one place left. So you deduce that's where the person's going to be. So the inductive argument is sort of rule-based. It's a protocol you follow. And from there, it has great power because you can predict things that you haven't even seen. You can predict what will happen far in the future or with data sets you have no experience with. The Geese example you gave is interesting because with an inductive argument one thing you do in mathematics is the last thing you say after you've defined your basis and you've done your rule your inductive rule the last thing you say is and nothing else okay and that's a philosophical approach to logic and people don't do it but if they're using philosophic logic or formal logic they're always implying that and nothing else nothing else exists that therefore all my logic can be considered true this is a good proof in scientific induction you can't do that. In my example, the students coming in, carrying their chairs, sitting down and sitting in them, and then you say, okay, what's, what's the 100th student going to do? Okay, well, the 100th students may come in, put his chair down, and then walk over and sit in the teacher's desk. And you say, wait a second, you didn't tell me anything about a teacher's desk. Well, that's the way science works. In scientific induction, you can never have full closure, because there might be another fact that shows up that you only discover later that changes the whole problem.
0: This is why science works the way it does, is that it continues to close in on what is true, even though it doesn't have what people might call the ultimate truth. It just gets closer and closer in a ever-repeating series of closer approximations to what is real.
2: I think yeah. that's why most scientists don't use the word proof in speaking, especially... I mean, I'll use the example of biological sciences and evolution. They don't say, you know, I have proof of evolution. They say, I have evidence for evolution, and based on the evidence, it's apparent that it's a fact. But a proof applies to mathematics. And and if if a scientist
1: scientist can do an inductive argument, and if he does it where he, he doesn't have a lot of evidence, what he'll do is he'll say it's a theory, and then if the theory gets proven by a lot of evidence, it can become a law. And if you take the really... There's one theory I love above all others, just because it was so long ago and it was just something so amazing to pull out of the pull out of the air. And Newton did it, and that's the law, his law of gravitation. Mm-hmm. And the law of gravitation says that two particles separated even by the universe, on either side of the universe, will still have an attra- a gravitational attraction between them. So here he is, he's sitting on Earth, a very small part of the universe, and he comes up with an inductive argument that describes the behavior of two particles separated by the entire distance of the universe. Now, that had to be confirmed, but that's that's a great inductive argument, and of course he uses you know mathematics to prove that is true. However, it's just a law. It's not a proof like a philosophical proof. Someone could, at some point, make a measurement that shows that that law does not hold. Well, it's actually
2: a theory, though. It's not a law. A theory of gravity. I mean... It's the, not the law. Of gravity. It's, the it's the universal theory.
1: law of gravitation, but still, it's yeah. an inductive proof. It's scientific well, inductive. So, Einstein, and it has been proven. I think it maybe it you're getting it that. It's well been until proven until Einstein came along. You know, it until little things moved years really ago, fast and, and modified it. Yeah, you know, he right. found something new because he, he had a new way of looking at the universe that Newton did not know about.
2: Yeah, and right. so he
1: said, you know, so it's it's it, it's it's great, and as long as you use the the uh, put and you can't say a nothing else in science, but you can. In Newton's case, you can say, as long as I put some boundaries here and I exclude Einsteinian physics, this law holds.
0: Right. So whenever Newton came out with his um, theory or law of gravitation, it worked really well for explaining things that we're very familiar with, like uh, ballistics and thrown baseballs and how rockets work and stuff like that. But at some point in time, someone looked at the orbits of the planets and everything kind of lined up except Mercury. Mercury's orbit was screwy, and it took Einstein's theory of relativity to explain that. And Einstein's theory of relativity explained gravitation at very fast speeds or very high gravities. But it doesn't explain gravitation at very small nope. levels, and that's where we have to run into quantum theory, string theory. And the problem with quantum theory, though, right now, the thing that we're all looking for, what you mentioned, David, is a way to connect quantum theory to Einstein's theories. We see very easily how Einstein's theories connect to Newton's theories. The math can be stretched from one to the other. But to go from Einstein's theories to quantum theories and back again, it doesn't seem to have a path between the two of them, and that's what they're looking for right now. We understand quantum theory. In fact, we're using it right now as we talk on this equipment that we're using here. And we understand general and special relativity and Newton's theories, but we don't understand how to connect quantum theory to the rest of it. We've got some good ideas. We're still working on it.
2: Well, that's what I love about science. It's the that it's always pushing for more. You don't just say, "Well, that's the answer," and give up. And like other, well, like some ideologies out there that claim to have the answer, and you know they utter the three words, God did it, and that's it. You don't need to keep looking for further
0: answers, and to me that just kills progress. Right. God did it is not an explanation, it's an end of an argument.
1: Uh, So we talked about eyesight, and we can bring Darwin into this. Now see, Darwin's theory of evolution is, is a great example of deductive logic. He looks at lots and lots of evidence, and then he deduces a theory that can explain the evidence he has before him as opposed to Einstein, who uses an inductive argument to come up uh, with with his theories. It's also important to remember that that in logic, you you can make a great philosophical argument. You can make philosophical arguments dealing with the existence of God. You can make all sorts of philosophical arguments. Philosophical arguments are not real. The the natural world does not really care what human beings on this planet have done in their great logical endeavors. The universe works the way it works. So an inductive, a logical argument is good for philosophy, but it's not good for the natural world. It may hold, it may work just fine, but it's not a requirement that just because you've formed a perfect philosophical argument or logical argument that the natural world behaves the same way. And, and the greatest example of that would be Zeno's paradox. Zeno's paradox says that the classic example is you shoot an arrow at a target. At some moment in time, the arrow is halfway to the target. Some later moment in time, the arrow is halfway to that previous distance, that halfway point that you you were just at, and so on. So you're always, you will always, in Zeno's logic, always have half the remaining distance to the target, and it will always exist, which implies in Zeno's paradox the arrow will never reach the target. That that's a perfect philosophical argument. There's no flaw in it that I know of. However, everybody knows the arrow actually does reach the target, so you can't confuse the two, and a lot of people do that. Uh, the other thing is when we come up with logical fallacies, is if evidence shows the logic is wrong, the evidence wins. And we live in reality. We mm-hmm. don't live in a, in a logical construct. And uh, so if you if someone makes a logical fallacy, and you point out, say, that's a logical fallacy, but if he says, but it's true anyway, and he can give you the evidence, then he wins, even if, even if the argument itself seems to be fallacious from a logical standpoint.
0: Perhaps at that point you could go back and re-examine the logic and and see why you thought it's fallacious and, and maybe figure out a different way of arguing it so it isn't fallacious. Yeah. But reality trumps whatever great argument you
1: come up with. And I, I like philosophy, and i read a lot of philosophy, but um, just to knock the philosophers a little bit, if a philosopher creates a really great logical argument or a real philosophy, and, and people say, wow, that's really, really great, and then later on another philosopher comes along and says, no, I found a flaw... In your, in your argument. Okay, what's a philosopher to do? Because if you say, oh, gee, you're right. <laughs> I guess I really suck as a philosopher, right? I mean, you don't trust a philosopher who's been wrong. A scientist who's disproven in the lab, and he now says, wow, that's, that's better evidence. That's better data. I'll change what I said before. He's now considered a better scientist.
2: You know, I have to stop you, though. By everyone in this room, he's considered a better scientist, but those are the little things... That uh, a lot of the creationists, for example, pick out and say that's where science is wrong because they're always changing their mind. and, oh, and yeah. I get into that argument all the time that's what's so great about science, it's not that they're changing their mind, it's that they're not closing their mind, they're keeping it open to new evidence, and they're not dogmatically holding on to their beliefs you know and so I would agree with you that's what makes them better scientists. but unfortunately, they get a lot of flack from non-scientists just for that reason.
1: And, and there's, there's actually a logical fallacy dealing with uh, foolish consistency yeah. Um, And science is not not prone to foolish consistency.
0: Okay, so let's get into logical fallacies here. So this is a, a good segue for it. There are a lot of fallacies that come under major headings. Things like fallacies of distraction, changing the subject. There are causal fallacies or missing the point or ambiguity. We're going to give some examples of a few of them. We'll talk about a few of the more popular ones and then we will go ahead and uh, direct you to where you can learn more about it. The first one that I want to talk about is the straw man argument. So can any one of you tell me about the straw man?
2: I most often encounter the straw man in regards to evolution. People say, you know, oh, so you just believe the universe came from nothing and then a puddle of slime turned into a person. And I just think that's crazy. And I, go, I think that's crazy, too.
0: <laughs> okay, so this is this is an example, but let's see why it's an example. The reason why they call it a straw man is because someone who is arguing against your position, they build a straw man version of your position. They don't build your argument. They build a a weaker version of your argument. Something that's easy
2: to knock down.
0: And then they knock it down. They punch it right in its straw chin and it falls flat on its back. Then they raise their hands and claim victory. In this straw man, in the, what you've just said, a creationist says, well, you think we came from nothing. This sounds very Ray Comfort to me.
2: Well, I think his the best example of his logic was when he was claiming that the banana was a proof of God. And then someone pointed out how we had actually engineered the banana through careful evolution and farming uh, to make it what it is today. And that I mean, you can't make that stuff up. For a guy to use it as a proof for God, and us to turn around and show him how it, it proves, uh, you know, one thing turning into being evolved into something else, that's as good as it gets, right there. When,
1: when it comes to evolution, the straw man <coughs> argument I hear the most is, uh, if we evolve from apes, then why are there still apes on the earth? Yeah, that's
2: such a bad argument.
1: Well, you know, I didn't say we evolved from apes, you know, so why would I even defend that? That yeah. ridiculous, and I, I wouldn't say such a thing. So the proper thing is
0: to say that apes and humans Had have, a assumed, have a common ancestor. And,
1: and also, to, the reason people use straw mans is normally because they have a fixed way of thinking. They, they cannot see your side of thinking. They can only make arguments that fit the way they think. So they create your arguments for you, and then they are trying to ask you to defend them.
2: Well, they work backwards from their premise that evolution must be false, therefore I need to understand enough of it to present... It in a way that's easy to defeat. Yeah. And I think more to the point, it's because thinking is hard and they don't want to spend the time to sit and read a book on evolution and really understand it. Because how often have you, Richard, been in conversations with creationists and asked them, so do you understand evolution? And of course they always say, oh yeah, yeah, I understand it. And you ask them to just explain it to you in in one paragraph and they can't
1: do it. Yes, yes. It is, it, you said thinking is hard. Education is hard at, after a certain level. Education that contradicts what you consider to be common sense is probably the hardest education to to apply to yourself, To You have to give up a lot of the ways you would normally think. Um, You have to basically, it's almost like stepping off a cliff is the way I think about it. You have to start trusting logic, you have to start trusting science. Uh, Most people don't don't want to take that step. You
0: see a lot of this in electronics and physics. This is where culture and our evolution really comes into evidence, because we're really good at understanding things that we can see, touch, hear, smell, in a split second. You know, a baseball pitcher can figure out how to throw a baseball in such a way to strike a guy out, and this is all Newtonian physics, and it seems very well until you get to a point where it's beyond our our normal understanding. The item in motion doesn't work the same way near a star, Or whenever it's moving really, really fast.
2: Even something as, well, I won't say as simple, but even something like uh, engineering a large building doesn't work the way that we think that it would work. When there's so many different pressures pushing on buildings from different uh, angles, we always assume that it's going to happen a certain way, and it just doesn't. That's where you have to to rely on the math. Because like you said, we're good at dealing with things that aren't too fast, that aren't too big, and aren't too small. Anything that we have not uh, experienced for thousands of years in our evolutionary uh, past, why would we be good at figuring it out? What's the selective pressure that would have made us be able to figure those things out?
0: Right. So we we use this new tool that we've developed, science, to to kind of get through it. By using science and, and figuring stuff out and understanding it, someone who hasn't gone through the education to understand what's going on Or in modern times, some people have gone through their education um, dishonestly in order to argue against a position or to give themselves authority. And that's another uh, fallacy.
2: Argument from authority.
0: So let's talk about that one. That's a nice segue into this one. The appeal to authority. Let's see. What's a good appeal to authority?
2: Most people believe in God, so it must be real. God's the final authority.
0: If God says it it must be true. God said it, I believe it, that settles it.
2: <laughs> I love that bumper sticker. Yeah, that's <laughs> the that's ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate authority.
0: Um one of our friends, uh, Scott Hatfield, said if you can put your entire uh belief system on a bumper sticker, then you probably aren't that sophisticated.
2: <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> Well, we saw this today when I was reading um, some comments that Richard was talking with Chris Tossi, a gentleman, on the Fresno Bee forums, and he said, uh, "I actually believe that everything in the, that God said to do in the Bible is moral because God said it. Period." So he's not evaluating those actions and those commands and those, you know, proclamations based on their own merit. He's evaluating them based on his preconceived notion that if God said it, it's moral.
1: So where does God get the authority? that everything he says is moral, well, it comes from the fact God said that he is the authority. Yep. So that everything I say is something you now consider moral. There's circular reasoning again. There's no, there is no external evidence. I think a lot of, the, of these
2: uh, logical fallacies connect
1: to each other. Yes, and yeah. And also, to, you know what happens when you commit a logical fallacy is you usually wind up trapping yourself. And so the very statement of all morality derives from God then leads to the problem of evil. Right. Um, And, you know, which is not a problem for an atheist at all, because we don't commit the initial fallacy.
2: Yeah. But you know what their argument's going to be there, right? Nine times out of ten. It's two words, free will, and it's a terrible argument, but they all bandy it about as their reason for the existence of evil.
0: We've been talking about appeal to deity almost. uh, Yes. But we can appeal to earthly authorities. For example... Doctor Fred, the physicist, says that uh, homeopathy is good for you. What's wrong with this argument?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think I have, a, I have a really good example that's very current. A couple years ago, uh, all the global climatology scientists got together and they produced a report—the fourth, the fourth report in a series—and uh, came to the conclusion that uh, you know global climate change is, is, is being caused by the activities of humans on this planet, and it's it's leading towards a, a real problem. Now, those scientists or climatologists, they met, they argued, they ran their research through layers and layers of, of people who, re, who tried to rebut it, who analyzed it, and when it was all done, they came to a consensus that that was the case. Okay, They're a very good authority. I mean, they work in the field, they publish in the field, they're given grants, and they challenged each other on the material, and still, after all that, they came to the conclusion. Uh, A year later, a senator who doesn't believe in global climate change is is being caused by humans, holds a hearing, invites several scientists, none of whom are in the area of of global climatology. They give a contrarian opinion, and he says, look, these scientists disagree, so that that argument trumps the argument of these other scientists who just produced this report, or is it at least equal. And people said, well, that's just a couple. So they go out, and they manage to get a list of 400 scientists, because now it becomes a... a, a competition. A competition. Yeah. Well, yeah. So now we're going to... The, the, the yeah. list with the most scientists wins in some way. You but know. who
2: has the evidence? But still,
1: still the, 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 it's, it's an appeal to authority. You're, you're, you're yeah. saying, look, if it comes from a scientist, he's an authority, so his opinion balances out at every other scientist's authority, even though he has <laughs> no background, possibly, or he did not go through the same process these other scientists went through to make sure that their conclusions were correct.
0: And this is why peer review in science is so important, because you get authorities in the field to review your science and, and tear apart your findings. Yes. And then, of course, you have to have findings. You have to have evidence, Positive evidence. Positive evidence that proves stuff, which is something that, Intelligent design lacks intelligent design lacks positive evidence to prove their theories.
1: They play the but God do, of the Gaps. But they do have, now have a few evolutionary biologists with PhDs that they can say, "Here's an authority in the field, and they believe intelligent de- design is valid and, and last is scientific." Week? And yet, none and of those, those none of those PhDs
0: evolution. none of those PhDs are able to say what it would mean if ID was true. If ID is true, what predictions can you make of of that? Right. And so far, you know, nothing that I've seen. Whereas if, if you say evolution is true, me as just a biological layman, and I really mean layman, I can think that if evolution is true, one of the things that it can predict is that diseases will change over time and that we have to have better weapons for fighting those diseases.
1: Well, for a scientific standpoint, we believe evolution is true not because... Charles Darwin, said it. Absolutely, said not. it was true. We believe it's true because the evidence and the research in numerous fields has all come to the same conclusion and conversion. And it's
2: made point. predictions time yes. and time again. Right,
1: right. That have been so, confirmed. So the key thing is, you know, you can't make arguments that are just based upon the, the name or the or the standing of some, of one individual and say, okay, well he said it, therefore it's true.
0: Okay. So what if I
1: attack an individual Uh, for
0: that i can say evolution isn't true because darwin had a deathbed confession
2: and he was a racist
0: and he was a racist oh yes there we go (laughs) he he, darwin developed evolution because he was racist that's an even better one yes this is another logical fallacy uh it's called an ad ad hominem attack you can also say it's just called attacking the person So you have something, obviously, you want to say about that.
2: No, no. I I just hear that one an awful lot, especially, uh, I mean, we hear ad hominems all the time. As a matter of fact, I don't know if any of our listeners followed PZ Meyer's tour through the Creation Museum uh, earlier in the month, but the next day, Ken Ham, the president of the Creation Museum, and I'm using air quotes went on the radio, uh, local radio talking about the museum and PZ called in because that's what PZ does. And uh, the first thing he said was, well, we don't need to listen to him because he's an atheist and he hates God. <laughs> that, was his, that was his argument about why his museum had factual evidence. Yeah. PZ called in, uh, called in to point out some of the glaring inconsistencies and some of the just crazy wacky things. And instead of refuting the individual points that PZ was making up, he just said he's an atheist and he hates God.
0: Okay, for, for let me get let me make a quick break here. For those of, of our listeners who don't know who Dr. P.Z. Myers is, he's a uh, biological professor at the University of Minnesota. He has a very popular uh, atheist blog called Ferrangula, and you can find his website from our show notes on uh,
1: rationalhorizon.com. Also, so, if you
2: just Google PZ, he's the first thing that shows up. So in the okay. uncommon attack,
1: you know, you're attacking the person, not their argument. And a lot of times that's linked to what's called poisoning the well, where in, the, in, in as you're making your attack, you're trying to, to, to give the impression to the audience that this person should not be listened to, not because of their arguments, but because of, of this other attack you're, you're making on them. And sometimes these attacks you know, are, are really out there. And they really are just trying to prejudice prejudice the audience against the person, and they're very unfair. This
0: is something that we need to watch too in our own ranks because it's very easy to hear someone on the art bell show or you know some sort of uh tinfoil hat wearing u f o watching guy, and he'll come out and he'll say something, and we might automatically dismiss it because of his ...attitude, past history, or current beliefs, we also need to watch that in ourselves and try to judge the argument on its own merits. A good scientist will always judge arguments on their own merits, as long as that argument hasn't been overplayed. For instance, the argument that UFOs are alive, real, landing on Earth, and mutilating cattle has been investigated so many times that it is at the point now that no one wants to hear about it unless you have overwhelming evidence. But we can't just dismiss the guy wearing the tinfoil hat just because he's wearing a tinfoil hat. Agreed. Okay. Ah, <laughs> I didn't mean to end that discussion. Let's try, uh, <laughs> let's try another one. Um, anyone have a favorite fallacy that they'd like to talk about?
1: One that I see a lot is the, uh, the fallacy that correlation...
0: Equals causation. Equals causation. Because
1: statistics are everywhere. Okay,
0: explain. What does that mean? Okay. Well,
1: uh, so, it usually arises out of statistical evidence. Well, someone say, will say, well, a majority of of samples of the data always happens when, when the following effect occurs. Therefore, that must be the cause for that effect. Uh, one that's going around right now, and, I, and I, I think today I read that the... Uh, in the United States are going to be looking at it, is there was a study in Africa in which the result came out that men who had been circumcised were much less likely to transmit AIDS. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can argue the study. So the statistics are fairly complex. The demographics of the populations affect the results. It's really hard to do a study like this. However, it's now sort of become accepted that circumcision has something to do with AIDS. So that's a correlation between whether men were circumcised or not and whether they transmitted AIDS. And they got a statistical correlation between them and say, wow, this looks good. However, that is not there's not necessarily a cause and effect occurring there. It could be something completely different. Yeah,
2: they need to look at the, the education and socioeconomic uh, background of the people that are being circumcised and see if that leads them to different behaviors than another group, not because of the circumcision, just because of the group that they're in. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things... Um, it could be causing that, so
1: yes. I, I see and, and that one a lot. And the and the population in Africa, even if it is true there, it may not hold for the population in the United States.
0: Correlation is not causation. Every time my alarm clock rings, the sun comes up. It happens at the same time. Yes, you have a lot of samples that will confirm that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you can't assume this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, how about
2: the um, anti-vax movement, you know... Um, I gave my child uh, this and this vaccine, and so many months later they were diagnosed with autism. Therefore, vaccines cause autism. Post hoc, ergo, proctor hoc. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot right now.
1: Yes.
2: And that's just another example of stepping back and realizing that the symptoms typically manifest around the same age that children are still getting
1: uh, vaccinations. It's an inescapable correlation because the vaccines are always before the age that autism is diagnosed. Absolutely. So you're you're never going to have a case where a child, you know, was autistic and then got the vaccinations. You know, I guess it could happen, Somebody got late vaccinations. So for most people, we're going to see this. They're going to see, I took my child in. And and actually, Gardasil is the same thing right now. Uh, they went into a database called the VARS database, which is an anecdotal database, and they said, "Gee, you know, a lot of teenagers are passing out after they get this shot." Well, boy, that's strange. Why do people you know? Normally, it's your vaccinations when you're an infant, and infants know they don't pass out. Uh, this is a teenage shot. It's much different. People are noticing it a lot more. Maybe uh, they're just queasy. I saw a
2: football player pass out giving blood at a high school uh, blood drive and uh, you know I I'm, I'm going yeah. to
0: say last year I passed out giving blood. Okay, so.
1: so drying blood causes you to pass out.
0: Well, I thought it did. This year I went in to give blood and I told everyone in the the place get ice packs ready, get get my fainting couch ready and I gave blood nothing happened. I'm going to give another example of a fallacy and I'd like to see if you could Come up with what the fallacy is. Okay, this is one from C.S. Lewis. He said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Anyone know what that would be as a fallacy? Okay. He's only given you three choices.
2: Yeah, Hmm. what about legend?
0: Legend? (laughs) That was a choice he didn't discuss. This is called a false dilemma. This is where someone gives you a set number of choices and no more. You're either with us or you're against us. There's a good one. We heard that for eight years. Whenever someone starts giving you a set of choices and tries to force you to choose one of those choices, that's a very big clue that you're being led down a path. You need to check it out and see if those choices are the only choices that are there. Uh, a false dilemma is uh, a false number of choices.
2: Well, I, where I see this most often day to day is either God created the universe or it came from nothing. So you're saying it came from nothing because those are the only two options. And they're not the only two options, obviously. They're giving you a false dilemma. They're telling you it's well, it's A or B, and they're not considering all the other options.
0: Right. And for those of you who aren't into some of the metaphysics in this, and I call it metaphysics, because we have no evidence yet, but uh, it is possible that this universe is the spawn of another universe in a multiverse of universes.
2: Or my favorite is: Is your God eternal? Because they always say that He is. Well, why isn't? Why can't the universe be eternal? You know, what's to say that only your God is eternal?
0: Well, we we're, per- we're pretty sure we know how this universe started. Yeah,
2: but but their question is, where did it all come
1: from? Right. Maybe it's right. always been. I have one. I, there's one I always like. And that is, in cosmology, we, we can roll the clock back to the very beginnings of space and time. But, but at, some, at some point, we just we have, no, we have no ability to describe what would happen. Planck time. All our physics breaks down. Yes. And, or even, and, and at some point, you know, once space and time even disappear... What does it mean, right? We, to we even have, say... Yes, we, don't, we don't have any terms to even use. Okay, so then I can say, well, so therefore, <coughs> before that point was God. So, can you know, I just say, okay, well, then God was before that, and there, that, that therefore is proof that, you know, you can't explain that you cannot explain the beginning of the universe. I can't. God created the universe.
0: But the, the problem with this is once you come up with a flat assertion with no proof to back it up ends any further research in that area oh no no
1: see God is the proof God is, is that wow. which explains wow. everything you cannot explain to bring back to
2: our point earlier well, that's called negative evidence and you ask them for their positive evidence of that and they're all they do is point out well you don't know what it is oh, and I can tell you no, what it no, is I'm telling
1: you what it is it's everything that you don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. uh, I think this is what because I love the name it's called loci's wager And basically it's defined as the unreasonable insistence that a concept cannot be defined and therefore cannot be discussed. And so God is a concept. You can't define it. You really can't discuss this. point. I just win. Whatever you say, I will give my concept whatever attribute it needs to automatically defeat whatever you're going to bring up.
2: Have you guys noticed as the years and the centuries have passed when we look at literature uh, of the religious that God has become less and less defined, because any God that they defined was easy to disprove. And now, when you talk to at least theologians and sophisticated Christians, they won't give a single attribute for their God, because they realize that as soon as they give an attribute, it's easy to disprove or show a lack of evidence for that God. Yes,
1: in fact, and uh, Alvin Plantinga probably has... The most complex argument for trying to get around that, of having a God with, with the only attribute he needs is he must exist. Existence. Yeah. That's it. And you know, it's, it's 60 pages forward. Sounds logic. like the it's ontological a, argument, though, and that's assuming... It, it's a, yes, make, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's a very sophisticated, formal, logical version of that, which I, don't, you know, I couldn't plow through. And, um, I think that comes back to your earlier point, though, where you know that's all great,
2: but what about the real world? You know, you can, prove, you can try to prove this thing through logic and, and uh, there could be flaws in that logic, but where's the actual concrete evidence? Where's what happens day in, day out? Where's right. the evidence for it?
0: Okay, we're going to have to start wrapping some of this up. But before we do, I'd like to hit two more things really quick. One is something that people misuse a lot. You see it in writing and in speaking where they say begging the question. I've been seeing this misused as, I have another question for you, and that's not what begging the question means. Begging the question means that the truth of the conclusion is assumed by the premises. So if A is true and B is true, then obviously if A plus B then equals C, then C is true too. This begs the question of whether or not A and B are actually true. Have we we solved it yet? Um, I'm reading a ghost hunting book where the guy goes through and he says uh, if we assume the ghost is electromagnetic then it can affect the real world by making things cold and then in a later chapter he will be describing a further portion of a ghost and he will go back to the earlier description and say like I said back in chapter two a ghost affects the real world by making things cold and he's Building all of these things on premises that he hasn't proved, he's begging the question. False premises. Right. By pointing out begging the question because it's often misused entirely. It seems like someone is talking in a very logical manner, but they're not even using the phrase in the way it's supposed to be. I'd like to wrap up with one that we hear a lot from religious people. It goes something like, Everyone in the world believes in a deity, so you must be wrong.
2: Well, we already went over that. That's just an argument from authority, right?
0: No, this is an argument popularity. from popularity. What's mm.
2: the difference?
0: Ah, well, it has its own classification. But uh, the difference <laughs> is that uh, with an authority, you have one authority figure. And with argument from popularity, it's, everyone believes it, so it must be true. Like um, when
2: they all believed that Earth was flat. Yeah, that's Like what, when they wrote in the Bible that the earth was flat and had four corners that you could see from the
0: top of the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone believes in a God, so God must be true. Okay, so. We don't have time for one more. Okay, let's, one more. How one. about
2: the no true Scotsman fallacy? Oh,
0: this is wonderful.
2: And, and okay. that's why when I get How
0: did we miss this? I don't know. Okay,
2: go ahead. <laughs> well, all I'm. I often get into conversations, and it's my mistake for not first asking someone what they believe and, and how they define their terms. What is God? What do, what do they believe? Because, as we all know, every Christian you talk to has their own idea of what Christianity is. And if we start out an argument without finding out what that particular person's particular beliefs are, as soon as you make an argument against what what we, reading the Bible, um, would, would say, they would say, oh, well, I don't actually believe that. That's not—they're not a real Christian. And you prove— well, this person said this, and this was a great theologian, and you're, well, uh, they weren't a real Christian. And typically you see this between Protestants and, and Catholics. You know, they each use this fallacy a lot back and forth amongst each other.
0: Every Christian that I've talked to in town has told me that Fred Phelps is not a real Christian because he's hateful and he pickets fallen soldiers at their funerals. And what would he say about those Christians? I think he would say that they're not true Christians. I think that would work the other direction. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically it's a
1: way of, when, when your own argument is being used against you, by example, yeah. then you get out of it but just by just saying, well, but they they're not, they're not they don't really believe the way I do.
2: Yeah. That's why I think it's necessary to kind of define what some of the beliefs are before you start. Because, to the point earlier, everyone takes something different out of the Bible.
0: The phrase, no true Scotsman, comes from a story about a gentleman making a generalized statement about Scotsmen. No true Scotsman would put salt in his porridge. Oh, well, Angus put salt in his porridge. Ah, but Angus is obviously not a true Scotsman. And that's where that that little story follows through on this. It works everywhere, you know. uh, Fred Phelps is not a true Christian because he's not acting like a Christian. There is a church in town here who regularly sends missions out to Utah to try to recruit the Mormons because those people are not true Christians.
2: There's also a church in town here that allows gay um, men and women to be in the upper echelon and actually be pastors in their church. And I would think that the majority of most of the other Christian churches in town would say they're not
0: real Christians. And you see that between, like you said before, the Catholics and the Protestants. We see it from one of the letter writers in the B.
2: But to be fair, there are people that are atheists for bad reasons and say some pretty illogical things along the way. So I think that the moral of that is really not to fall into the ad hominem and really to look at the argument and not...
0: Well, let's take a real quick look at that. Kirk Cameron used to be an atheist, and he said the reason... That's right. He said the reason why he enjoyed being an atheist is because he could do whatever he wanted to do. We here at this table, we don't really get to do whatever we want to do without worrying about consequences, consequences or how it would affect our life. Or
1: yeah. well, first off, he's created a straw man. He's created an atheist that no one agrees is an atheist. Yes, because he wants to now tear down that particular model of an atheist that he's created. Ah,
0: yes, that's you know, true.
1: And so, yeah. You know, that's great. That's you know, great argument for, for Kurt, but Kurt. but who cares? I mean, there are no atheists who go around saying, "I'm an atheist because then I get to do whatever I want to do.
0: I would also argue that that's more nihilism than atheism, and a lot of atheists have a positive moral philosophy. All atheism means is a, a lack of belief. It doesn't indicate your philosophy. Yeah.
1: I would say it makes someone a, a psychopath or a sociopath.
0: <laughs> 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 OK, we're going to go ahead and end that there. Do we have any news about what's going on locally in the Valley? I mentioned at the top of the broadcast that we're having the second annual Heretics Barbecue on the 6th of September. Is there anything else that's going on locally in the Valley that anyone would like
1: to speak of? uh, Up in Turlock, Freedom from Religion Foundation's campaign against the Turlock City Council invoking Jesus in, in their invocations every meeting. That's ongoing. Well, what about
0: saying, the one in, in Lodi? Oh, Lodi, I'm yes. I'm, Lodi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's so the Freedom it's, From Religion actually, Foundation. it's probably
1: occurring in Turlock and every place else. <laughs> <through, but laughs> right. That's, that's the, current, the current battleground. Right. And one of our sister
0: groups in Modesto, the Stanislaus Skeptics, actually managed to go up there and assist in a protest. And, hey, you guys up there in Stanislaus, if you're listening to this, uh, this is a shout-out to you. That's a really good job. We're a little bit too far away to drive up there in a moment's notice, but we were there with you in spirit. Um, To let you know, also there are skeptical and atheist groups up and down the valley. Uh, There are people who are trying to form groups in the Tehachapi and in the uh, mountain areas. If uh, you're listening to this and you'd like to be part of a group, a local group, uh, send an email to... Uh, comment or comments at rationalhorizon.com, and we'll get you connected with people in your area. We're here to help you guys form groups. That's it for the local news in the Valley, unless anyone else has anything. The, uh, wh- what is it that's going on? At the Hoven? Eric Hoven? <laughs> you're I right! Was. You're right! Oh, oh yes. <laughs> okay, so, real quick. For those of you who don't know, Kit Hoven is a... Um, prisoner. Prisoner, yes, <laughs> yes. That's a good okay. way of saying it. Poisoning
1: the well, there. Okay. <laughs> he is, he is a, he is a
0: so, Kent Hoven was a denier of evolution.
2: Young a, Earth creationist. Young
0: Earth creationist. He had the dinosaur adventure land in Florida. And he also... Didn't pay his taxes. Didn't pay his taxes. A lot of taxes. The IRS got uh, perturbed with him and took away a lot of his... Uh, money, and his freedom, and some of his property, and uh, he's uh, trying to deal with that now. But his son, Eric, is still in the business of going around the ca- uh, the country and talking about why evolution is false, and apparently he seems to be talking about uh, tax evasion also. So, Eric Hoven is going to be speaking at the Kauai, California Church off of North Fork Drive up in Kauai, California. They're having a two-day conference called the Old Paths Christian Conference. It's going to be on October 3rd and 4th. It's free to attend. If you guys want to go there, you know, you can go. But I'm telling you, this church looks a bit spooky. Now, we found out some interesting things about this church. The first thing is, is they, on their website, list their address as the Kauai Commonwealth California Republic. For those of you who don't know, this is insider speak for we don't believe in federal taxes. By using a commonwealth address and calling the state you're in a republic, you're kind of indicating that you don't fall under the federal government only under a state government, and you don't feel like you need to pay federal taxes. So it's probably safe to assume, and I'm assuming a lot here, but I think I'm fairly good at it, that uh, the Koya Church people don't believe in federal taxes. Whether or not they pay them, I don't know. And what did you find out, Justin, about the Koya Church? Well, I was looking at their uh, brochure for this event, and in there, just in small print, it it talks about, by popular demand, we're bringing back our shooting range. (laughs) And I said, whoa, (laughs) this is...
2: Shooting range. Yeah.
0: uh, So this is a little church up in a mountain community... Yeah. They're they seem to be tax protesters. They have Eric Hovind up there and they have a shooting range apparently. Okay. So you probably shouldn't go
2: up there as an out atheist then as your uh
0: Yeah, don't wear your A shirt up there. Um uh, I'm really curious. I'm I'm actually thinking about going up there and be sure to bring your Civil War era attire <laughs> for the uh, Civil War era dance they're going to have too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. The Civil War era dance. I wonder how many of them are actually going to be on the union side. You think there will be many? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. (laughs) A lot of southern attire, I think. Oh, okay. Be my guess, anyway. So, that's all we have for you today. I'd like to point out that Rational Horizon is a program wherein we discuss the issues and events of interest to the secular and skeptical community and the California Central Valley We'd love to hear any comments or suggestions about this show. Please send your emails to comment or comments at rationalhorizon.com. Thank you very much for listening to us. Say bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye -bye. Bye, everyone.
1: You can find more information about today's topics in the show notes at rationalhorizon.com.
0: The Rational Horizon podcast is supported by the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. CVAS encourages teaching positive secular philosophy and rational scientific inquiry throughout the California Central Valley. We support the separation of state and church and urge members of the secular and skeptical communities to join or to form affiliated rational organizations. You can learn more about this organization and upcoming calendar events from its website, www.cvaas.org Hey, this is Jonathan Colton, and you're listening to a podcast released under a Creative Commons license.
1: CC, baby. Check it out.